Oh, thank you, Mike, Jody, Jackie. Those are great songs, man. That second one, I, that's, I hadn't heard that one, and that is a, I like that one. Oh, okay, we are continuing our study through 1 Peter. And today we are going to be in chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. Quite a few scriptures. Quite a scripture. Say that fast three times. Quite a few scriptures. And having already prayed, um, when you, I guess I got a, a question for you this morning. When you think about your relationship in Christ, what words would you use to describe that relationship? Um, would you describe it as being a child of God? Would you describe it as being a Christian? Would you describe it as being a believer in Christ or maybe even a follower of Christ or maybe even a saint? And if you did, you'd be right. All of those are identifiers as to who we are in Christ. But have you ever thought of yourself as a holy priest? Interesting question, isn't it? You know, I believe the more we know about who Christ is, the more we will desire to be like Christ and reflect Him. And one of those areas where we tend to forget who we are in Christ is what Peter describes as a holy, royal priesthood. Now, for those that don't know what the priesthood was all about and why Peter is using that specific term in his text this morning, as we will discover, is because it goes all the way back to Aaron and his sons at the time of Moses. When Israel's religion was formally being instituted by the covenant at Mount Sinai, Aaron was the first high priest. And all priests came from his lineage. Additionally, there was a tribe called the Levi tribe, still is, and they were responsible for the maintenance of the tabernacle, the caretakers, the transportation, the security of the tabernacle, which at that time was a series of tents, the one on your left. Because while they wandered in the desert, they didn't have a permanent structure, and so it was erected with tents. And it was called the Mishkan in Hebrew. But when Solomon built the very first temple, it was a permanent structure in Jerusalem. And you can read that in 1 Kings. But it was set up in the same manner, in which there was an outer corridor, an inner corridor, but then an inner part of the temple. And one of the most important roles of the high priest as a mediator on behalf of the Hebrew people, was to enter the inner chamber once a year on the day called the Day of Atonement. And on this day, the high priest and only the high priest would enter into that chamber of that tabernacle or that temple, which is referenced as the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle blood 
on the altar for the atonement of sins of God's people. Now, why is this important for me to share with you before we get into our examination of Peter? Because when Christ died, something very special happened as it relates to the temple. In Luke, Luke writes this on the death of Jesus Christ. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, you will find the same account in Matthew and in Mark, but what is different about Luke is Luke adds to the point that Jesus entered into the holies of holies and said, Father, into my hands, into your hands I commit my spirit. He entered into the holy holies for the last time. He entered into the holy holies as the final atonement for your sin and mine. No more are we required to go into the holies of holies as Jesus split that veil in two permanently, forever. Therefore, because of this, we now have unfettered access to God the Father through our mediator, Jesus Christ. No longer are we to wait that one day and give our alms to the high priest who would go into the inner inners or the holies of holies and offer up atonement for our sin. We now can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Receive mercy and help in a time of need. We no longer go through any other mediator except Jesus Christ. Think of that. The distance that we used to have between who God the Father was and who we are has been eliminated. And now we can approach God the Father through Jesus Christ anytime, anywhere. And he desires us to come all the time. Additionally, because of Christ and his sacrifice and resurrection from the dead, the dwelling place for God is no longer built by the hands of men. For now we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling place among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We are now the temple of God because God now resides and manifests himself in us by way of his Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought of yourself as the temple of God? That's another interesting question, isn't it? Now I say all that in an effort to set the stage this morning as we examine what Peter means to be a holy and royal priesthood. So let's begin by examining verses 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is building a spiritual house. And it started with Christ. And He's continuing to build that house. It's not one made of tents. It's not one made of brick and mortar, stone or cedar, but in spirit. And the living stone, which is Christ, was rejected by the world. But from it, God the Father is building His church. And we are a part of that church. We are the living stones that's making up its construction. And with this precious spiritual house, a new priesthood has been established. Not one of Aaron or one from the tribe of Levi, but a holy priesthood made up of believers in Christ who serve daily within the new temple of God that lies within us. We are now the holy priests of the temple. And with it, we have specific responsibilities with that royal holy priesthood. Now, before I speak uh, to what Peter means about spiritual sacrifices, I want to say something about what a sacrifice is. To us in general, we kind of view sacrifices as something that we have to go without, something that we have to give up, right? When I was a child growing up in the church that I was raised in, we would go through a thing called Lent, whereas a few weeks or so many weeks before Easter, we would have to give up something. I would always give up candy. Um, I tried to give up school and work and chores, but mom and dad would never fly with that, so I'd have to give up candy. And only until Easter came that we were able to then have what we gave up for Lent. And so the view I always had of what a sacrifice is, is something you go without, something that you don't or you no longer possess. You had to give it away, even though you didn't want to. But that's not what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice is something we offer up. It's in a differently prospect, different prospect than giving up something. It's something we offer up. Spiritual sacrifices is not what we lose, but what we willingly with a joyful heart, give to the Lord in praise and worship. An example of this is giving, tithing, if you want to use that term. For some, giving in the church and the Lord's ministry is views as something they have to give up and do without. And they say, you know what? I wish this money could be used somewhere else. I remember when Darla and I were first tithing and, and giving, I call it giving, you can call it tithing. Um, one of the things I came home I had a friend, Dan Reeves. You know? Dan Reeves bought a brand new boat and he had a brand new F-250 diesel pickup. I'm like, why can't we afford those things? I don't understand how Dan can and we can't. And Darla comes over and shows me the checkbook and she goes, that's why. And she wasn't showing me a lack of funds. She was showing me our tithe. I was in the flesh for just a second. And I was like, that's why. Because we give to the Lord sacrificially. We offer up with praise and worship. That which He's already blessed us with, and we return it to Him as an offering. 
And that is the mentality we need to have with giving and tithe. It's not that you're sacrificing and you're losing out and we can use this money for other things. You are offering up that which already belongs to God that he blessed you with as an offering. And when you do that, and this is not a money sermon. I don't like money sermons. God blesses you. And I could share with you blessing upon blessing upon blessing the Lord has given us because we simply acknowledge everything that we have as His and we offer it up to Him as worship and not a loss. And so what are those spiritual areas that we are supposed to offer up to the Lord as a sacrifice? The first one is we are supposed to sacrifice our body as a living sacrifice to God. Our bodies. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, before we can give anything to God, whether it's giving of our tithes or offerings, our service or our time, we must give ourselves first. Everything flows after that. It's easy to give up money. It's easy to give up time. But when we don't want to give up ourselves, that's where the problem starts. And we are to no longer live by the flesh and its desires, or as the world would entice you to entertain yourself with. If it feels good, do it. We are called to live holy lives. That's the whole point of Peter's epistle, is to live holy lives in a world that's hostile to that. We are to be led by the Holy Spirit. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You know what Paul is saying here is that if we live by the Spirit and the desires of the and we desire the things of the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, then the flesh and its desires have no control over you because you were free them chains are gone you're no longer incarcerated by sin you're free you don't have to give in to that if you do it's because you want to or it's a moment of weakness and I understand that as well but we need to fight because we need to live by a standard of holiness and purity and we've been given the power to overcome the sins that defile the body. You know, when I hear people say flippantly that they are sinners, right? And their sin is covered by grace, which is true. But the statement comes off more of a capitulating spirit. Eh, I'm a sinner. <laughs> you know, therefore I sin. No, you're a sinner because you're, you're in sin. <laughs> I, I was going to quote R.C. Sproul, and now I got it messed up, so I'm not even going to go there. Right? Because otherwise I'm just going to butcher it and I don't want to do that. But the fact of the matter is we need to confess our sin with a broken and contrite spirit. With a broken and contrite spirit. Our bodies are to be a living sacrifice. Remember when I asked you, or interesting question in the fact that your body is now the temple in which God manifests himself through the Holy Spirit? Think about that for just a second. 
Would we ever have movie night here in this church? Rated R. With explicit language and sexual scenes. And say, you know, we'll just ignore those scenes, but we're just going to have a good movie night here. How many of you would come to movie night if we had that? How many would ask for the resignation of Pastor Tim if I offered that? Pitchfork, right? On a rail, tar and feathered, right? We wouldn't do that in the house of the Lord, would we? You're the temple. You're the temple. This is a gathering place where we fellowship as Christians. We can easily do this in a home. But because of your faithful giving, we have a building. We have a sanctuary where we can come. You are the holy temple of God. Why then would you allow that in your temple? Why would you allow that in his temple? That's the renewing of our mind that we need to go through that Paul encourages us to. See, because sometimes we compartmentalize things. Well, that's church. This is life. No. You are the church. You are the temple. You are to keep it pure. Why? Because you are the holy royal priesthood who's responsible for that. That's how we need to think. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Stand at the door. Keep yourself from the world as it relates to the flesh and guard it as a priest. Secondly, we are to sacrifice our life to God, which is to say our will, our will, what we desire, what we want to do. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Typically, after Mike gets done teaching Abundant Life class, he goes into a class called sanctification. You've heard me talk about sanctification. Sanctification and, and what is God's will for your life is for you to come to the image and likeness of Christ. In fact, in Romans 8, 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. When we become saved, the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in us to bring about us to be the image and likeness of Christ until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean that we will obtain Christ Jesus here on this earth? No, that's a part of the glorified body that we'll have in heaven. But what we're talking about here is a continuous transformational process by which we were once a sinner, now a saint, and we are being purified in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. And until the time that we come to Christ in glory, our lives are to be one of a continued transformational process and holiness in our lives. If you look back on your life from the time you were saved until you are right now and there has been no progression, we have a problem. It means we haven't turned over our life to the Lord. It means we haven't given him our will. We are to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of Christ. 
We are to mature in the fullness of Christ. We are to renew our minds in Christ. And we are to put on and clothe ourselves in Christ, as I spoke last week. Take off the dirty jacket, man. And don't hang it back up. Burn it. Because it's no longer part of your wardrobe. And what's our obligation in all of this? God does all of this, by the way. Praise God. Praise God. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to be in the image of likeness of my son. Um, here, here's called the Bible. You figure it out. Let me know, and we'll see you on the other side. That's not how God works. He gives us the power and the ability to do it. All he asks from you is obedience. Let me do it, Tim. Let me do it. You will not regret it. For what I have for you is far greater than what this world will offer you. Let me do it. Give me control. And you will be blessed beyond measure. You'll have inner peace. You'll have joy of heart. You'll have love in your heart. And you will have a desire for me that you've never experienced in your life. Let me do it. The third area of spiritual sacrifices we're to offer up as holy royal priests is that sacrifice of good works. The priests in the Old Testament had a specific duties for which they were responsible for on a daily basis. Their lives were dedicated to the service of the temple and to the Almighty God, and they had no other responsibilities whatsoever. They didn't farm, they didn't gather, they didn't do anything. All they did was tend to the temple. Every day they served the Lord in everything they did. That was their job. That was their focus. That was their mindset. That was their meditation. And they did it from around the age of 25, and they would go into semi-retirement around age 50. So they did it for the predominant period of their life. Oh, no, by the way, before they got to 25, it's just not that they're called, and they go through an eight-week boot camp. They have been prepared because they were Levites all the way up to that time. We're no different. God has called us into His service. He has given us gifts from which to serve Him and His church and His community. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The greatest ministry within the body of Christ is the ministry of the laity, the members of the church. Yes, God established pastors and teachers and elders to teach and equip the saints for the work that they would do, but it is God's desire that the laity of the church do the majority of the ministry in their daily lives to know Him and to make Him known. When you are out and about in this world doing your career, doing your schooling, doing whatever that is you do, you are to be doing the ministry of the Lord in every aspect of it. I was once asked by someone, Tim, how do we grow the church? What strategies do you have to do that? Well, I do believe in a discipleship-focused church where when people feel confident and strong about who they are in Christ, they're more apt to go out in this world and share it. I've seen it happen. It was me that it happened to. But growing Christ's church is you and me out there in the world 
praying for God to give us divine moments to share about the good news of Jesus Christ to someone who is lost. And then to share that good news. And to watch that person come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then to invite him here to be discipled. That's the very first step for any growth of any church. You could come up with all kinds of programs and all kinds of different outreach, and they're all good, they're all effective, they all have their place. But by and large, when I talk to other pastors, I talk to other people in churches, and the evidence within this church is churches grow when people are active in their witnessing to others, in their works. We have people in this church that are gifted to serve, gifted to pray, gifted to encourage, give, gifted to give, gifted to help, gifting to care, gifting in hospitality. And when we're all operating on our gifts and we're sacrificing them, holding them up as a holy act of worship to the Lord, this church will never lack for anything. Because God has specifically brought you here for a specific purpose with a specific gift to be used for His glory. I don't have all the gifts. Mike doesn't have all the gifts. Kelvin comes close, but he doesn't have all the gifts. You have the gifts. You do. And we are a fellowship of believers. And your gift is as important as my gift, and vice versa. You know, works play no role in your salvation. Can't work your way to heaven. But works shows evidence of your salvation. Our new heart's desire should be to do the works of faith that the Father has provided us. See, we don't even have to find out what they are. He said he's already prepared them beforehand. We don't even have to go and say, well, I'm gifted in this. I better go make a career of it. God has already provided you opportunities. And the more you dedicate yourself to the gifting that you have, guess what's going to happen? Doors of opportunity are going to open up for you to walk right through them. That's what he's saying. And if it wasn't true, then what's it doing in God's Word? It's intrinsic in the love that God placed in your heart upon salvation, conversion, to do the things that He desires to do. In verse 6 through 8, Peter continues, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of an offense. Peter again is here quoting Isaiah, and he's also quoting Psalms 118. And the most important stone in construction of any foundation is the cornerstone. Now, today we use modern concrete, so, but your corner better be square or the rest of your building's not going to be square. But back in the day, foundations were made by stones. And the cornerstone was the most important stone because from that cornerstone, two walls can be extended and they would be true. They would be plumb. They would be level. And the two walls that Peter is talking about here Coming together under the cornerstone of Christ is the Hebrew Christians and the Gentile Christians coming together, being built up from the cornerstone of Christ. He's the cornerstone. 
We're the living stones being built upon him. But for those that do not believe, those who rejected Christ as a cornerstone of faith and salvation, walk in their own way, and as a result, they stumble over this cornerstone, which is Christ. You know, I'm amazed at the hostility towards Jesus. I'm not surprised, but amazed. And Jesus even warned us that they're going to hate you because they first hated me. And we see that on the news, but I've never really experienced a person who is hostile to my faith. And I think one of the reasons why people are hostile to their faith is because they know. They know the truth, or they heard the truth, and they don't want nothing to do with it. In fact, I'm a, I do investigations for a living, and although I don't do criminal investigations, I do do investigations where I do interview techniques, and some of them are very much the same. And one of the things that I noticed in all the years that I've been doing this is when you approach somebody on something they know exists within them that's not right and you challenge them on that, they become very defensive. They don't want you to go there because they know that flaw exists or that lie exists or that issue exists. And when you walk into that door and you start pressuring them on that one little issue, they become extremely defensive and I had one guy go violent. But conversely, when you reveal something that they had forgotten, did you not know that you got a little trouble with law enforcement 10 years ago? Oh, man, I forgot about that. I am so sorry. Or when you remind them of something or you reveal to something that maybe they weren't aware of, their attitude's totally different. They're more receptive. They're like, they're, they don't lie. They don't defend themselves. They want to resolve the issue. And I think that's why people have a hostility towards Christ because they know that what you're saying is not wrong. They just don't want to be hearing it. And what do they do? They lash out against you. They lash out against you. And that's because Christ is the cornerstone a stumbling block to this world. Not everybody's going to believe in Christ. It's unfortunate, and it's God's desires that all will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it's our job to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But sadly, the truth is, not everybody is going to go through the narrow way. They're going to go through the wide gate, which leads to destruction. And that should crush our hearts because we know the truth. Peter continues, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's our story. What Peter is saying right there. That's our story. Peter now restates how we are chosen by the foreknowledge of God and chosen in Him to believe in Christ identifies once again the title of priest. But now Peter uses a different term to describe that priesthood. He uses the term royal, whereas before he used the term holy. Look, we're not commoners in Christ. We're not basic citizens. We're not mere subjects of God. 
We are considered royalty in Christ. He has chosen us. And He has given us His inheritance in Christ. You don't get an inheritance in Christ if you're just a subject, somebody who just serves God. You are part of a royal family by way of Christ being the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God has given you an inheritance in that. You're not just going to go to heaven and go, okay, name Tim. Okay, you're a door opener, all right? Courtney, I need you to sweep up after praise and worship. No, you are a royal, holy priesthood in Christ. And as a royal priest, we belong to a holy nation that is made up of God's chosen people. You and me. And within this holy nation, we receive the second duty of our priesthood. And that is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who are called out of darkness. To proclaim the excellencies of God is to proclaim who He is and to be a witness for Him. And as a holy and royal priesthood, we are called to present the Word of God to proclaim His truth for the purpose of bringing the words of life to those who are lost. And so He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The Great Commission is not just for the disciples. The Great Commission is not just for the gifted. The Great Commission is not just for the evangelists or the pastors or the elders. It is for all who have faith in Christ to know Him and to make Him known. You are fully qualified to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those the Lord leads you to. And He will give you the words to say when He provides you those moments. Why? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and at the end of the earth. Again, I'm going to do it through you. Let me use you. Be a vessel. One of the greatest witnesses that we have is our testimony. Our testimony. Being brought from darkness to light. When was the last time you shared your testimony with somebody? I share mine quite frequently, but when was the last time that you shared yours? Last week we interviewed a couple for membership, as I stated in the announcement portion of the service today. And in doing so, we get to hear their testimonies. You know, you can know a person for a while. You really don't know them in Christ until you hear their testimony. And one of the individuals had a testimony of coming to Christ early and then falling away and then coming to Christ again. And not again, but repenting and rededicating their life to Christ. And then another person who had just a continuous growing in Christ since childhood. And it was amazing to see the different stories. And you get to know them more in a personable way. And their testimony is the most powerful thing, whether it's one that's come out of drugs and addiction and all kinds of criminal behavior, or one that was raised in the church and progressed all the way up until who you are. 
with never really rebelling. Doesn't matter which testimony it is. It's powerful and it's yours. And you can tell the best story when it's your story. And people want to hear it. Especially when they walk up to you and say, Tim, what happened to you? What changed? Oh, that's called an open door. And you share what happened. And people are amazed. And they think it's some kind of 21 steps to a new you. No. It was a total spiritual transformation. Total spiritual transformation. One of the most powerful testimonies I've heard in this church is Calvin's. He shared one night in prayer meeting. And it comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When Kelvin talked about that scripture and then said this, Lord, do you know who I am? Man, that's powerful. That's what Kelvin wanted to know. Lord, am I yours? That is a powerful testimony for seekers who are looking for the answers to life. And if God would love them. And Kelvin's testimony is, oh, he loves you in a way you can never imagine. And he wants you to be his. That's a powerful testimony, but so is yours. And you tell it well. And you should tell it often so that people can hear about a transformed life. And so the second duty that we have as a royal, holy royal priesthood is to be proclaimer of the excellencies of God, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter continues for the last segment of our verses this morning. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Within the final verses, Peter now reveals the third duty of our royal holy priesthood is that we are to exemplify Christ. And although we have seen sojourner before, and I've commented on what a sojourner means in our earlier sermons, I just want to define what a sojourner is as he uses that term. Sojourner means one who temporarily resides in one place. Peter was not speaking to those in this letter whom it was addressed to because they were nomadic. They weren't nomadic. They didn't move around a lot. He was calling them to be sojourners because they are no longer citizens of this earth, but citizens of heaven. We need to renew our mind in that too. Remember what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus prayed this priestly prayer in John chapter 17. You see it up there. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are not of the world. Yes, we were born in the world. Yes, we live in the world. Yes, we grew up in the world. Yes, we're employed in the world. Yes, we have homes in the world. We have careers. We have lives. But we are not citizens of this planet. There is nothing on this earth that we should ever place before our relationship with God. Nothing in this world should attract us to stay here when God calls us home. And it's a thing, it's a mindset that we need to come up with. Because once I was once stationed in Osan, Korea with my brother Mike. Until you live in another country for a year, you really, it's a concept. You could visit another country, but when you live in another country for a year, you know you're not a citizen of that country. You're not a part of the culture. You, you, you don't dress like them. You don't eat like them. You don't look like them. In some cases, depending on where you're stationed. And I said again, we're in Osan. But I was supposed to be an ambassador of the United States of Air Force. In fact, on KF, oh, I can't remember what the channel was, the military channel. We had like two channels, right? And they always played soccer. Oh, but they would always say, don't be the ugly American. Little, little commercial snippets. Don't be the ugly American, right? Be an ambassador of the U.S. because that's your citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we are to be an ambassador for Christ. Now, what does he mean when he says they speak against you as evildoers? We live in a world where right is wrong and wrong is now right. As believers in Christ who live our lives through a biblical worldview, we are increasingly being labeled with terms such as intolerant, homophobic, misogynistic, narrow-minded, judgmental, non-progressive, and the list goes on. And it is true, we do not accept certain lifestyles as normal. We hold to a different role within the church between men and women in accordance with God's word. And our views can be seen as being not very progressive when you compare them to liberal views. And when people ask us if certain behaviors are sins, our answers tend to sound judgmental. But as the Word of God says, we are to answer these questions in truth and in love and seasoned with grace and mercy. But you're also to respond in a way that shows that we are being accused of false judgment. What do I mean by that? I was in Minnesota for meetings. And I was, I was walking with two fellow agents back from luncheon that we had down the streets of Minneapolis. One of the agents who knows I'm a born-again believer, who I've never sat down and discussed any of my views with, but she just knows I'm a born-again believer. And she says, well, you know, Timmy, he hates gays. And I said, what did you say? And she goes, well, you, you don't like gays. Whoever said that to you? And she said, now she's caught off guard. I'm like, don't you ever say that. I may have a position 
as to whether I accept that as a normal behavior or a normal lifestyle or an alternative lifestyle, but my call in Christ is to love all. doesn't mean I accept all. It means I love all. That's the mentality the world has towards Christians. And unfortunately, because of wackos like Westboro Baptist Church, if you ever look them up online, people look at that and say, oh, that's a Christian. No, that's not a Christian. Those people hate. And the love of Christ is not in them. Yes, I come from a biblical worldview. And at times it clashes with this world. But I am called to love everyone and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ in hopes that they change their life and live it in the purity of the gospel. That's how we are to be examples. And unfortunately, the world will tag us with monikers and identifiers that don't even come close to identifying who we really are. And so it's our responsibility as a holy royal priesthood in the world in which we live to project Christ truthfully, honestly, with love and grace and mercy, with the hopes that they too will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. The world is watching. Let's exemplify Christ in everything that we do. Don't segment him between job and church. He needs to be just as much in your career, in your dealings with people, as you are with Christ's people here in this church. Let's exemplify. You know, having examined our text this morning and recalling my earlier statements in that when we know more about who we are in Christ, the more we are to be like him. Well, this morning we now discussed what it means to be a holy, royal priesthood or be a part of a royal, holy, royal priesthood. A priesthood that offers up spiritual sacrifices, which is your body, your life, and your works. A holy priesthood that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And a holy priesthood that exemplifies Christ. This week, let us carry ourselves with this in our mind that this is the temple of the living God because His Holy Spirit resides in us. And we have been called to be a royal, holy priesthood and that we are to live our lives in this temple in that manner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks and praise for your word. Father, we just, when we sit and we examine it, Lord, it just unlocks so many things, Father, that we need to renew our mind with, that we are the temple of the living God and that we are called to be a holy royal priesthood. And so, Father God, as we have examined these scriptures, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit minister to our hearts so that when we leave here, we live what we just learned here this morning. And I just pray, Father God, that we would rely on your power to do it. And so, Father, I just give you thanks and praise for who you are and your word. And may your blessing be upon this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and join us.